HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by craftbeer.com, dedicated to small and independent U.S. craft brewers. For more information, visit craftbeer.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum from the Brooklyn Kitchen, a cooking store located at 100 Frost Street in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Join me every Wednesday as I talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. And today, a little bit more about drink, actually. <laughs> uh, today's episode number 66 of Feast Your Ears, and I'm pleased to have in the studio with me Dave Coreco of Arcane Distilling, who is producing a fernet uh, and whiskey using what I think most people would call a slightly unorthodox process. Uh, seems actually more like the logical next steps in technological advancement in, uh, in spirits production, I'll potentially, uh, and is <laughs> sort of related to uh, almost like uh, perfume uh, sure. production, and we'll we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, when we first met, actually, he had developed a, a system for fermentation, both fermentation and distillation, that was focused on vodka um, that he built himself, which I found really impressive, uh, and was unlike anything I'd ever seen in a commercial uh, beverage production facility. So, thanks so much for joining me today on Feast Your Ears. No problem. So, uh, I want to start, uh, you know, people like to start at the beginning. Uh, so, I want to know, like, what was your first... Uh, what was your first introduction into fermentation and beverage production? Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> my first uh, introduction to fermentation was actually for fish tanks. Oh. Um, so I was making CO2 to uh, inject into these fish tanks. The idea was to uh, really keep the efficiency as great as possible on these underwater ecosystems. So uh, you have to feed them light, you have to feed them oxygen, and you have to feed them carbon. So you'd feed them carbon in the form of carbon dioxide. And you were growing, you were growing plants underwater for yeah, the fish? Yeah, I, I was growing plants underwater, uh, tiny little fish, tiny little shrimp. Uh, and the idea was to have as low input as possible. Hmm. And was the idea for a, for a food source or just for pleasure to look at them? What was the, what was the goal? So originally it was just a 
concept of, hey, wouldn't it be neat if? And then the more I, I, I messed with it, um, I realized it was really beautiful. And um, I'm pretty opposed to most forms of uh, uh, marine aquaculture, uh, not, not, not for food, but for, uh, in terms of like fish tank husbandry or fish keeping. Sure. Uh, a lot of it's poached and it's basically keeping these fish on life support. Yeah. Um, so I got focused on, well, what if I could, uh, sort of disrupt this, this, this business of going out and poaching these reef fish by making something that was even more beautiful, uh, that would essentially take care of itself. Hmm. Uh, you know, you know, you know, you have happy fish when they're just breeding in the tank and right. you know everybody's enjoying themselves you talk you mention it being beautiful um is that something you strive for in in when you build the uh the equipment that you're using because i will say the the fermentation tanks that you had designed that were really columns yeah um i thought they were beautiful yeah i mean there's there's an aesthetic that i definitely strive for um I, I have a background in art and i'm not going to say that that's why i strive for it but uh, something that I learned was that a lot often in the art world, if you make something that's functional and beautiful, it's seen as lower. Hmm. Um, I think that's horseshit. And right. I think that a certain amount of um, aesthetic in a functional object only adds to its function. You want to use it. It, it works uh, for you and for what it does. Yeah. Um, I used to write code and I was very proud if my code was beautiful inside as well as being able to make uh the front end of it was you know did its job was beautiful as well so uh what was your next step after fish in, uh, in so you were fermenting to create co2 yeah yeah fish, i'd done then... a little beer i okay. you know like you do um but the problem when i was doing the fish tank concept is that i had a waste product and that was alcohol so that's what got me into uh distillation right and when you're making beer you don't think of the alcohol as the waste. Product. No, that's actually the, that's the, the goal. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that, that was, that's, that's, that's the whole progression in a nutshell. And then from there you move to, to creating, um, a, a fermentation system sure. to create a mash that right. could then be distilled yeah. in a fairly traditional way, even though you built the equipment yourself, right? It was, yeah. it was through heat, um, and, and condensing the, right. It was done at atmospheric pressure, right. which is the key here. Um, the physics of of ethanol and water are are determined by their pressure. Uh, that determines when they boil, you know, right. their bubble point, and uh, that that determines how they interact with each other. Because uh, uh, at, at some point, you actually can't distill them apart any further, uh, oh. but under vacuum, you can. Aha! Uh-huh. And so, vacuum distilling yes. is what you're using <laughs> now for uh, your arcane for now yes. and your lone wolf whiskey. Yeah. So, explain uh, both to me and the listeners what makes you know for, for as a basic explanation of distillation the way, say, when you buy Jameson's. Sure. Um, you know that is they make a mash sure. that has a certain percentage of alcohol mm-hmm. that's not spirit level yet right. probably 20 percent or right. so they put that through a still between one and five times probably depending on who the distillery sure. is and that is a, a still is a for those of you who don't know um it's a big pot basically that heats it and the alcohol boils off first before the water it goes into well actually yeah i mean yes uh but in conjunction with the water as well i see yeah so that's that's an, that's another thing that uh uh, the, I would say that the most important thing to take away from distillation process is that you've reduced something that has uh, many, many, many different types of components, both volatile and not. 
So water and alcohol are volatile, volatile components. Uh, they can be evaporated. Like you can, right. you can remove all of the water and all the alcohol and wind up with a distillate that's you know only five percent alcohol because you're starting beer with five percent alcohol. Right. What's left over are all your proteins, all your residual sugars, any biomass that was formed, like yeast, uh, salts, um, and it, it's it's you know the reason why seeing gluten free on alcohol makes me so fucking angry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but. You know, um, moving right along. Sure. Um, so, so in, in, in the traditional <laughs> sense that you know that Jameson's on the shelf or whatever you yeah, like, yeah, yeah. whatever you normally drink, um, unless you're a normal consumer of Arcane uh, Fernet or Lone Wolf whiskey, is uh, con- the alcohol is concentrated through heating. Yeah. Um, and then condensing mm-hmm. what boils off, basically. Sure. Um, so tell me how vacuum distillation is different. Well, vacuum distillation varies very, uh, differs very simply in that by reducing the ambient pressure below atmospheric norm, uh, you're able to dramatically lower the temperature at which a liquid will evaporate. Hmm. Um, so, for instance, at, at uh, atmosphere, you know, like sea level, since we're in yep. you know, Brooklyn, uh, uh, your, your like 14% alcohol mash is going to boil off at around 85 degrees Celsius, 87 degrees Celsius, something like that. Um, and, uh, under vacuum really depends on how strong a vacuum I want to pull. Um, but I can get that, uh, actually, you know what, a better example would be just to use water. Because sure. that's a simpler thing. Sure. And uh, everybody, under, everybody yeah, knows from yeah. high school physics that water boils at 100 degrees Celsius. Right. Or 212 if you yeah. are Fahrenheit driven, um, which Let, I am Let's not. try not to be. Okay, great. I, I approve of that. Um, so, yeah, at, at ambient, so standard temperature and pressure, uh, which is, you know, where we are almost right now. It's kind of nice temperature in this place. Um, if, you, if you were to put heat into, the, into a cup of water it will start to boil at 100 Celsius. But as soon as you reduce that pressure, uh, like say I reduce it by, by half, and um, uh, there's an old school measure that I like to use when talking about it because you can see it visually. Because if I start talking about bars, this is right, right now we're... You know, and then I go into millibars and tor sure. and stuff like that. Bar is, like, bar is a measurement of pressure. Right. For the, you know, yeah. And it's like, know. what the fuck is that? Right. Uh, so there's this old school measure of, of pressure called inches of mercury vacuum. Mm. Uh, and that would be as if I had a pan of mercury and I put a glass tube suspended into just touching that pan. And then I put a hose on the top of that tube. And if I applied a vacuum and sucked out... The air, uh, so it's it based would, on the weight of right, the mercury. Right, so it would suck the mercury up the tube. So you can think of ambient pressure, so no vacuum, ambient pressure, as being zero inches of mercury vacuum. Um, and then if you want to think of full vacuum, that's about 29, 29.5 inches of mercury vacuum. And that's intense. That'll take most vessels and crunch them like a beer can. Now, I don't suggest that anybody put a straw yeah. into a vessel full of mercury and try and suck on it. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It be, could be pretty bad for you. When I was a kid, I had a friend whose father was a scientist, and we used to play around in his sort of home workshop. Oh. And I remember very specifically Mercury's there so being cool. a 16-ounce <laughs> glass bottle full of mercury that we were all like, oh, my God, it's so heavy. And we poured it in our uh-huh. hands, and we played with it. I've and done that, too. we moved it around the table. 
you know, only to discover later that uh-huh. that's where, you know, the idea of the Mad Hatter comes from, is from mercury getting into the body. Well, that, that, I mean, brain. that's a very specific type of mercury. Actually, pure mercury, elemental mercury, isn't that toxic. Oh, uh, It's not, not toxic, yeah, sure. but it's not like methylmercury. Uh, that's very bioassimilable. That'll mm. fuck you up good. Got it. Uh, but like, anyway, we're so what di- you're telling me is that using again. using my playing with mercury as an excuse for lo- missing brain cells is actually probably that's correct. alcohol. Okay. Got yeah, <laughs> and, and probably other things. As well. So back back to right, back right. distillation. So so so, um, so if you can think of a zero inches of mercury as boiling at 100 Celsius, uh, you can think of as uh, 28 inches of mercury as boiling at like. 30 Celsius? Wow. A little less. And that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm using this vacuum to intensely lower the energy input requirement. So you don't don't even think about it as heat anymore. Yep. uh, But the energy input into the system to get it to boil is dramatically reduced. Uh, and that has a number of, of benefits. Yeah, I was going to throw you a softball and just say, yeah. why? Yeah, why? Uh, <laughs> why do this? If everybody else yeah, is doing yeah, this yeah. other process, well, why are you doing it this way? The thing way? is, I'm not the only one doing it. I'm, I'm the only one doing it possibly on this scale and with this product hmm. um, because it's a giant pain in the ass to develop the equipment and get it running right. Uh, there's a certain amount of... of uh, process error and uh, tuning with a vacuum system because it's uh, your your vacuum determines everything else. It determine you can't just go, oh, it's that temperature. I've got that alcohol coming off. It's like no, you better go check your vacuum, and then you better go consult your it's tables. All a ratio, yeah. yeah, and it's like you got to look at your vapor speeds, and you can you can it can be really hairy, um, but. Uh, one of the major advantages to uh, vacuum distillation is the preservation of delicate materials. And it's, the reason why it's used primarily in things like perfume and in medicine, uh, you'll, you'll use a, something like a rotary evaporator uh, to remove a solvent from a, a, you know, a bunch of amino acids uh, because you don't want to denature those proteins. And... Um, if you apply that to things like scents and smells, that's exactly what they are. They're right. not some magic, you know, there's no like little magic little oranges floating around in, <laughs> in, the, in the air. It's, it's all these, this plethora of chemistry. Yeah. Um, so if you take a page out of, out of medicine and into science, you find that um, I'm not going to say that, that distillation is simple. It is most definitely not. Uh, but it's very well studied. It's very well studied because uh, the scientists and uh, and chemical producers of the world they just don't want to lose their jobs. Well, you know, and it's big business. Yeah. I mean, oh no, it's absolutely alcohol is big business. So I'm, I'm not even right? talking. Yeah, I'm not even talking about about uh, about alcohol. I mean, the most common industrial solvent is water. Yep. And you need to be able to evaporate that out to concentrate materials, and there. There are dozens of different ways to do that. I am just doing one of them. Uh, but by applying that to things that um, would often lose their character, lose their flavor if you heated them. Um, actually, you know, I know you cook. Right. I know that you love to cook. And uh, there's a time and a place to use certain herbs. Some of your herbs are used while you're cooking and you want them to stew down and impart some sort of flavors. Uh, but then you have your finishing herbs, and you wouldn't dream of ever like 
throwing them in in the beginning and and stewing them down. It's like, hmm, stewed down sage, hmm, yummy. You know. Uh, I mean, I also, you know, I, I think that there's a there's an interesting reference point from homebrewing there with the use of hops. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I think of in my experience oh, yeah. homebrewing is that you know that when you put the hops into mm-hmm. the wort has such an effect on what the final mm-hmm. notes or final mm-hmm. tastes or smells and what you get out of those hops. Yeah, and you uh, can tune it. Exactly. That's great. Yeah. And it's it's um, it's exactly what I'm trying to do is uh, trying to emphasize that if you start with something that's already delicious, like beer, and you turn it into a whiskey using a traditional process, you've basically just destroyed it. Right, because you cook it. You cooked it. Um, and now you've turned it into just another wort, another whiskey mash, which is a shame because it had such amazing character that you will not find in a whiskey mash. So don't do that. So then tell me about uh, <laughs> tell me about Lone Wolf. So how do you how do right. you create Lone Wolf? And what do you so you are so Lone Wolf is a distilled whiskey yes. made from an already finished beer. Yes. And you are collaborating with breweries. Yeah, and homebrewers as well. Cool. Um, and so are you are you looking for certain things in that starting beer or is the only thing that's really important that it be delicious and that it will yield a delicious whiskey when that's, you distill it? That's it. I've I've um I've I've distilled a lot of beers at this point, uh, about fifty. And um I've distilled everything from, you know, triple IPAs to uh sour beers like Flemish Reds. Um, I've done saisons. I've done all Brett beers. I've done I've done Imperial Pilsners. I've done uh, a lager. I've, 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 I've all these different things. I've 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 distilled perfect beer. I've distilled fucked up beer to see you know can it be sure. Um, and what's great is that in the world of beer, what I love about it so much is that. People have all these different options. It's like if you want to make a big IPA, well, now you've got like a hundred different hops to choose from. Cool. Now you get your hops. You've got your malt bill to talk about. Uh, And then ultimately you have your yeast to talk about. And all these things contribute minute or major uh, uh, flavors to this final product. And uh, I wanted to capture exactly that. That as a snapshot. Uh, and turn that into a whiskey. I don't want to break it back down to its malt bill and have some sort of like vegetal residue of something reminiscent of hop. Right. Uh, right. I wanted exactly the, the hops. hops. Yeah. yeah. Great. We're going to take a short break and hear from one of our sponsors. While we're taking a break, we're going to pour some whiskey, and when we come back, we'll talk about it. Love craft beer, the diversity of styles and flavors, the stories of small brewery businesses and the communities behind today's craft beer movement? If so, you'll love craftbeer.com, published by the Brewers Association. Whether you tasted your first craft beer 30 years ago or just caught the bug last week, craftbeer.com is the number one destination for beer education, news, and recipes. 
Looking for a local brewery? Use the internet's most robust brewery finder to discover your new favorite place. Want to get geeky about your favorite beer style or find the perfect pairing for dinner? Craftbeer.com is the leading authority and can help. Celebrate the best of American beer. Visit craftbeer.com today. Welcome back to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum from the Brooklyn Kitchen, and today David Kareko is joining me and is in the studio here at Roberta's at Heritage Radio. Before the break, we were uh, sort of discussing Dave's uh, journey uh, into fermentation and distillation and talking about why he has chosen uh, to use vacuum distilling. And so uh, during the break there, uh, he poured me a glass of his Lone Wolf whiskey made from, distilled from other half brewings, short, dark, and wired, which was a coffee stout. Um, And I have yet to taste it, but I'm excited to. tastes like whiskey mm-hmm. um, but you definitely can taste the stout and the cacao mm-hmm. and the aspects of it um, which is amazing because as you pointed out before the break if you were to heat that beer up yeah and you were to boil it essentially all of those flavors would essentially disappear or, or at least they'd be reduced and then they'd also make new flavors that you don't necessarily want um that the only way to get rid of them would be to put them into a barrel for, you know, four, five, six, seven years. Yeah. And, and this doesn't have the, so from a like process standpoint, mm-hmm. you might, you know, one might think tasting this, oh, this is like a white whiskey, right? It's right. unaged, didn't spend 12 years in a warehouse right. in Kentucky. Right. Um, but it doesn't taste that No, way. it does doesn't not. taste the, I mean, I, I find the white whiskey thing as someone who, you know, got very into, <coughs> into bourbon, uh, I don't know, about 20 years ago before it was really like super popular and there were a thousand different versions on the market. When all the new sort of younger distilleries started doing white whiskey, I was like, that's a joke. It's just so you can sell your product faster, and it's not very good. I mean, it wasn't designed to be good, I don't think. No, of course not. It's meant to be aged. Yeah. Um, So one of the side effects I found when doing the vacuum distilled process was that um, a lot of the compounds didn't break down. Uh, They didn't turn into other things. So it's it's, when you you take something uh, that's got all these different chemistries in it and also a lot of organic matter like beer uh and you heat it up what's going to happen is that it's going to spontaneously start to break down and recombine with other things especially if you have any like volatile acidity uh that's going to pair up with your alcohols and you're going to get all these esters Hmm. but not in a good way uh and that's why you need to put your whiskey into a barrel and you have to put it there for four to five years uh you can't just use a smaller barrel it just doesn't work that way um, because it's not just about the um, extraction. It's not just about the extraction. Yeah. It's about the time. At, the well, it's about the time. chemical reactions. Right. And it's like if you know anything about, about you know, even the most basic chemistry, uh, there's only two things that work in that case. Well, three things if you want to be really accurate. Either you add a catalyst, which is why I was, you know, had to change it to three things. Uh, <laughs> or or you, you, you have more heat or you have more time. Right. That's what you do. Um, adding heat gives you all kinds of problems. Um, adding a cal- catalyst could be pretty nasty. Um, so, yeah, yeah you're going to want to use some time there. Right. A little time there, bud. <laughs> um, so what's cool about the beer whiskeys is that none of these pro- these byproducts are created. Whatever went into the, uh, the beer is what comes out as the whiskey. Um, so the... Uh, because it's happening at such a low temperature, 
none of these side reactions are occurring. Um, this is most noticeable in the sour beers, um, which uh, really sour beers are kind of impossible to distill. I was going to say, let's talk about that. Yeah, because yeah. sour <laughs> beers are sour because they have acids in Shit them. Shit ton of acid, and yeah. And they have, you know, there's other things. There's uh, Britannomyces mm-hmm. and there's lactobacillus mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. there. And, and so you have lactic acid and you have other acids. So how does that affect the distillation? Yeah, so um, let's talk about lactic acid since that's a pretty common uh, delicious acid i mean yeah. acetic acid is nice in small amounts like in your flemish reds and stuff like that i mean as a vinegar maker i think that acetic acid sure. is super delicious right. but i i hear you but but from it's a like, stylistic point right. of beer and, and is not beer what you want i mean i i mean i love me some some flemish and some flanders yep. but you know that doesn't i mean i have distilled them but uh just not in general uh, so when you have lactic acid in the presence of alcohol and temperature what you're going to get is ethyl lactate and ethyl lactate in very small amounts is tasty. So it's got like a sweet flavor, a little pear-like. Um, but if you've got a decent amount of acid, you all of a sudden now have a shit ton of this ester, which is like nail polish uh, right. remover. Um, not and, acetone. And what are we talking about? When I mean, you know, obviously everything we're talking about here is ratios. So when you say yeah, yeah. a little bit is delicious, what are we talking about? Oh, uh, we're talking about parts per uh, parts per billion. Okay, yeah. and then uh, and then having too much that's going to taste like nail polish it's remover. Gonna, that's what you're going to. It's like, oh, this is really hot whiskey, which is the reason why I don't like that that terminology. It's like, well, okay, what what solvent are you talking about, sir? Sure, you know, sure. It, it's. Uh, but that's that's what's going to contribute it. That's why you need those that time in that barrel is to right. take that 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 ester. And actually have it react with the wood, get some wood esterification going on. It's interesting. That makes perfect sense. And as someone who is a, is a vinegar maker from the kind of food and experimentation side, not the scientific mm-hmm. side, one of the things that happens with vinegar making is that sometimes you do get the acetone mm-hmm. um, and you do get that nail polish remover smell. And the thing that you can solve that is by time in a barrel. Yeah. Yeah. And I did. It's uptake. Yeah. Uh, it's also off gassing. Yep. Uh, so it's just like that angel share. Uh, there's all kinds of these like insane products for craft, craft whiskey now. It's like there's barrel sealers where they like coat their barrels and to hold that angel share. And, you know, it's touted as, you know, you can save 15%. Right, your, right, right. It's like, that's not, that's not, what are you doing? It's actually what you don't want. It's, you don't want that. I don't yeah. want to drink that. Right. That's, ugh, okay. <laughs> Um, so yeah, the beauty of here is that, I mean, as you, as you noticed, it's like, this is not really an aged whiskey. No. Um, and it's like, well, well, wait, but why? (laughs) So the next one, the next one's really going to, uh, explain more about the, uh, the herb thing that I was talking about. And uh, I'm I'm guessing um, based on the, based on how you're making these, that these are fairly limited production. Right. Oh yeah, extremely. Uh, right now, with the equipment that I have, I'm making uh, seven to ten bottles a week. Oh wow! Um, and where where are the, who's who's lucky enough to get their hands on them? Uh, really, it's just the people that follow on the Instagram. Got it. Um, I have also have a sign up sheet on my my uh, uh, website for people that actually want to make their own. Uh, they can contact me and propose. You know, hey, I want to make this beer and turn it into a whiskey, and if I like it, and I'll give you the green light oh that's great so then yeah. they can come to you yeah you can find it on my website awesome it says, so you know i want to i want to brew for lone wolf 
Great. So, yeah. so uh, people who are interested in that, you should look at ArcaneDistilling.com mm-hmm. um, and you should follow on Instagram at Arcane underscore NYC um, to, to find out more about it because that is an incredibly limited production. I mean, yeah. I know, you know, here in Brooklyn, we're all about like artisanal, <laughs> like low, like small batch, um, but that's really low production. Yeah, this um, is annoying a level great, small batch. <laughs> but it's a great product. I mean, I, you know, I feel like it's important to, to, ask i mean i'm I'm guessing that you now that you have proof of theory and that this thing works you are working on scaling it up yeah um like i said these the well actually i haven't talked too much about the equipment but um it's not your normal equipment and there are some people that use vacuum assisted distillation in spirits i'm not like i said i'm not the only one doing it but this level of vacuum that i'm talking about uh, would take most of, even your vacuum stills that are designed for like gin use yep. it would crush them like a beer can right um, so this is all industrial and medical level design, um, which it doesn't come cheap. Uh, right. It took me about 13 months to scrounge together the parts for my current machines. Um, some of them I had fabricated, you know, I fabricated or, right. or it's I, not like you can just call a company and buy one off the shelf. I you, mean, not you that can. It's, no, you can. can you? Absolutely. Oh. You just better have, you know, 90 to $150,000 lying around for a Got small it. one. Got it. Like for the one my size, it'd be about seventy, eighty thousand dollars. Right. Got it. So well, so let's talk about this next whiskey. Yeah. Which, I mean, I just gave a smell. Oh yeah, it just it fills s- up the place. It does. I mean, it it smells like we're suddenly sitting in a room full of hops. Yeah. So um, this is KCBC's Dangerous Precedent. Wow. So Kings County Brewing Collective, they're over in Bushwick as well. Um, so their Dangerous Precedent was their first double IPA, and um, they gave me a keg. And uh, this awesome liquid came out. Man, it is awesome, right? Um, I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> it's it the the smell is like a super like mm-hmm. fruity mm-hmm. IPA, um, and then but the you get an incredible amount of like citrus notes mm-hmm. in the taste. The whiskey itself is not super hot as we describe it, um, and it almost has a spicy finish. Yeah, which is not the same as sort of the hot flavor you get from like an overproof whiskey. It's spicy. These are the flavors of your hops. Um, you're getting that. You're getting the resins and the oils from the hops for real. So there's a reason why that all of my whiskey comes in a brown bottle. Uh, it skunks. Right. Uh, the hop oils are there uh, in small amounts, but they're there, and um, like it's not vile to drink if it gets a little light strike but it's different it tastes like i've had some other hopped whiskeys before uh and i was like oh yeah corona nice yeah (laughs) and it's it's just it always kind of drives me crazy it's like you went out of your way so another thing to mention is that um this is possibly the most expensive whiskey to make by mash bill in the world i was gonna ask because i mean what we're talking about is like craft beer that's already expensive and hard Mm -hmm. to get and produced in very limited amounts yep and then when you say a keg was it a was it a sixtal or was it it a a sixtal so we're talking about five gallons we're talking about 160 dollars sixtal making seven bottles right so that's 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 the starting point. Right. <laughs> and so then if you're going to have that be an actual production that then you're going to sell, not yep. only is there the value in the product, yep. the time, the very specific process, mm-hmm. um, then there's the fact that it is so limited. Yeah. I mean, luckily, I uh, a lot of the, the breweries are, are friends of mine, and they've been really awesome about supporting the project. And uh, either I'll, I'll, I'll just be, you know, given a six-toll. Um, and then, you know, 
they have to taste. They have to tr- they have to make sure that the whiskey's good in return. Oh, you of know, course, there's, of course. There's a testing yeah. process. Um, well, they, their name's going to be on it. So, you know, <laughs> I, I understand that. Um, but if it wasn't if it wasn't for that, yeah, it's uh, like you'll you'll see these craft whiskeys being sold for you know seventy five dollars a bottle, uh, and you're just like, oh, that's neat and all. Yeah, the starting price for Lone Wolf before I've even touched it is like sixteen bucks a bottle. Right. Just for the liquid. and that's wholesale, yeah, right, yeah. And that's not even doesn't count the bottle, the right? Label, the distribution, right? Any of the other Absolutely. costs that go into it, and that's for a three seventy five. It's for a three seventy five, not for a seven fifty. Yeah, so. yeah. So it's it's like yeah, I can break down the cost for you if you want. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is. I mean, I you know I will say it is spectacular. As as someone who I, I would say I you know tasted a lot of whiskeys. I'm not a whiskey expert. I yeah, also yeah. like don't go in for like the, you know. I, I'm lucky enough that my brother lives in Kentucky and has managed to score some bottles mm-hmm. of the very, like, super rare, you know, George T. Stagg bourbons and stuff at retail instead of the, like, crazy retail. Yeah, yeah, retail yeah. <laughs> you know, retail in Kentucky for those is, like, $65 a bottle, yeah. which is great. They're they're delicious. Not the, like, five or $600 a bottle that they yeah. fetch when they get The trading prices. Yeah. I mean, something I should mention is that I'm not against traditional processed whiskey at all. Right, right, right. I'm against fucking it up. Yep. Um, it's, you know, don't, don't be making a bourbon that's nine months old and right. calling it a bourbon just right. call it something else yeah like when people ask me what lone wolf is i tell them it's beer whiskey they're like well that's not a classification i was like you're right it's malt whiskey but to be more accurate it's beer whiskey sure because if you told me this was malt whiskey this tastes like beer right yeah, this it, it's like, like this tastes like a this tastes like seven IPAs at once. Like what's now, going earlier on? you mentioned something about gluten free, yeah. right? <laughs> so is so this came from beer, yeah. which came from malted barley. Yeah, yeah. Which people who <laughs> are who who are gluten free say they can't drink. Can they drink this? So you can drink any <laughs> distilled spirits ever. I don't care if it came from like pure gluten and you somehow like sicked a bunch of distilled of, a pizza. Yeah, well, yeah. I don't, I don't I don't care. It doesn't matter. Gluten, it goes back to what I said in the beginning. It was like you have your volatile components and your non-volatile components. Gluten isn't, you're not volatile. I can't evaporate you, Harry, and you like float <laughs> up into the air. Although I bet you you could find people who would totally pay to be vacuum distilled. They oh, Desiccated. <laughs> vacuum desiccated. So that actually, there you go. So you, that you could be vacuum desiccated. Right. Um, it's so, like being cryogenically frozen, but it's like a different version. No, it's not. In this case, we're, we're, we're sucking out all of your moisture by making everything about you that's volatile evaporate. Got it. Um, so, yeah, for all you people that are actually, like, celiac sufferers, feel free to drink whatever the fuck you want. Um, but I do say that if you find that a bottle says gluten-free, don't buy it because you know the people that sell it are assholes. Yeah, they're just trying to trade yeah. on something that on should fear. already be true. Yeah, right? it's it's messed up. It's uh, it's It's... Something that I try to actively uh, talk about because I'm, it's, I'm it's, totally with you. I mean, I you know when I when I see products that wouldn't normally have gluten anyway, yeah, like yogurt that says gluten free, yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, well, of course the yogurt's gluten free. Yeah, why would it have gluten in it anyway? Yeah, yeah. Uh, one one place that I found that I actually understand it uh, is people that are making canned cider hmm. uh, or bottled cider because people think that it's made with beer. And apples, uh, sure. Uh, because I don't know why people get confused, but they do. Because they're trained to think that yeah. a twelve ounce long neck, right? Is and a I kind of right? get that. I kind of get why you have to talk about it. Yep. I do. But no, if you have it on a spirits bottle, nah, <laughs> nah. Um, well, um, 
I'd love to, we have another bottle sitting here, mm-hmm. um, which is your Fernet. Uh-huh. So I want to understand, you know, Fernet is something that I feel like, uh, I actually, I, I do think whether true or not for me personally, we are sitting at Roberta's. Um, Roberta's is, I think, responsible to some extent for the popularity of Fernet uh, <laughs> in the last 10 years. Um, it was actually the owners of Roberta's with whom I first tasted Fernet um, actually at a bachelor party. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd gone out and we, we ate some really, really crappy Chinese food in That'll Staten Island. Um, and then one of them, we were, in a bu- we were in a van and one of them said, oh, we got to go to a liquor store and get some Fernet. And I was like, Fernet, what's that? Never, I, you know, I never, I'd never gotten into Amaro, so Fernet wasn't on my radar. Yeah. Um, but since then, and Fernet certainly has like taken over. It's like the bartender's drink, right? Yeah, I, I would say that you've, you've, you've hit every single point of what makes Fernet what it is, especially in New York City. Except that is, I haven't talked about any of the flavors <laughs> or any of what's really in I'd it. I've only talked about. Yeah, the brand. I'd say that's not that important in right. some ways. Um, <laughs> It's uh Fernet Branca that is. Fernet Branca, right. yeah. yeah. Most people so people are a little confused about that. Fernet is not Fernet Branca. Fernet right. Branca it's like uh circles, um not circles, it's like uh squares and rectangles. Yep. So Fernet Branca is a type of Amaro. Not all Amaro is Fernet Branca. Right. Uh Fernet Branca is a brand of Fernet, not right. all Fernet is Fernet Branca. Right. Um so uh, so arcane. So you make a fernet, right? Which so, is a type of amaro, right? A bitter amaro, right? A bitter amaro, bitter right. amaro. And um, the reason why this came about, it started as a dare. Uh, <laughs> this guy I know uh, basically bet me, uh, just trying to push my buttons because I build distillation equipment. He's like, well, yeah, you can do, you can do this, but can you make something like fernet? Just like that. It was like, sure. I'll, I'll take that bet. And, and I, I can see where he was coming from, right? I mean, it, it, bartenders love it. And, they you know, it's meant to be both a digestive. Mm-hmm. They use it in, in cocktails. And it's a secret. Like, yeah. it, it's, a, it's a famous, and, and you know famously, how I feel about that yeah, <laughs> famously secret recipe for yeah. what's in it. So I um, luckily, I had some help. I was able to, you know, basically go to all my friends, bartenders, bar owners that drink fernet and i was like all right i'm gonna make this fernet that tastes like bronca um but i don't really like bronca name me one thing about bronca you don't like and they and i and i basically compiled this list of things um i won the bet uh because i made one that tasted like bronca right you can still tell that my it wasn't like perfectly spot on but it was enough that it was like okay you got it you checked all the boxes um, but I realized after doing all that work, it's like, I really should just take it all the way. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I compiled this list of, of things that people would change about Bronca and they had some really good suggestions. So, Yours is much less astringent. Yeah. Yeah. Bronca is very astringent. It's actually the thing I don't like about it. So that was the number one thing was Bronca face or Fernet face. Mm-hmm. It was like you take a sip and everybody would sort of wince. Yeah, at the end, it's yeah, like it, it's like it's sucking out the inside of your throat. Stringent, yeah, yeah. and it, and it and it, uh, and it would it would stick with you too. It mm-hmm. wouldn't go away. Yeah, and that was the other thing is that it was too sweet. Yep. So it was this this combination of it's dry and parchingly astringent. Which makes you wince, but then you can't get it out of your mouth because the sugar kind of like seals it in. Yep. Uh, and I was like, all right, I can nix those things. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, the other thing was that it didn't finish cleanly. Mm. 
Um, so I was like, cool, I'll work on that. But the thing that everybody agreed on was that it should soothe your stomach. Yep. Um, so I spent a lot of time figuring out, okay, what? I, I just want to focus on that because I like that a lot. So I kept in some of the traditional herbs like gentian root. Um, but then I uh, turned to, in some ways, my experience with the Lone Wolf Project, which is hops. Hmm. Uh, and I was like, oh, yeah, how about we use some bittering digestive uh, promoting flowers? Let's yeah. do that. Uh, so there's three different types of hops, two to three different types of hops in every batch. Uh, it rotates slightly depending on the hops that I get. Um, hops are a, a seasonal crop, and they change. And actually, they have a, a like they'll change depending on where the location that you got them from. Right. Uh, and they're a large part of the fernet itself, so it's important. Um, but uh, 27 recipes later, this is it. This arcane is fernet. It's delicious. Yeah. So does this have a uh, larger production than mm-hmm. Lone Wolf? Is this something people might actually be able to buy? Yeah. Um, so this has been getting, been very popular um, in Brooklyn with with uh, uh, originally the people that I would ask, how am I doing, guys? Right, right. Uh, I'll give you some notes, Dave. Here you go. Um, and it's really starting to branch out. So uh, I'm making about 35 cases of this, 12 bottle cases of this a month right now. Oh, good. Uh, and yeah, you can just go on the website and there's a store finder be like, yeah, I'm looking for bottles of arcane Fernet. I think actually Roberto's carries it by the shot. Cool. Uh, but yeah, you can buy bottles of it. You can get shots of it. And, um, and there's, there's some, there's some bars like uh, Cardiff giant, uh, like which is up on Myrtle yep. that specializes only in New York state products. Um, they 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 were like drumming on the table waiting for this because it's it's the only New York State right uh, <laughs> fernet so they're yep. just like yes finally <laughs> finally they can serve a fernet yeah yeah so it's it's um, this isn't just like another Brooklyn product it's actually made here yep so awesome well we unfortunately are pretty much out of time but we could we could go on for hours perhaps i'll have to have you on for a for a follow-up uh, <laughs> follow-up episode of feast your ears um but definitely everybody should check out arcanedistilling.com and at arcane underscore nyc to follow dave uh and his uh, adventures in uh, in lone wolf whiskey and arcane fernet um it really it's it's awesome i'm gonna i'm gonna check as soon as we're done here to see if uh, vine wine is carrying it and i think they do not i hope they are because i live upstairs ah. be great easy for me to pick up a bottle on my way home if not i'm going to make sure that they do start carrying it so i can pick up a bottle on my way home um any other upcoming uh projects events places you'll be serving or where people can find your stuff that you want to mention i mean the best way is to check out the instagram there's probably a new release every week of whiskey um there's um, a brand new one coming out from strong rope brewery um tomorrow uh, it's called uh, not the seeds of love and outrage, but uh, it's a it's a very hoppy whiskey. Oh, social butterfly! It's uh, Jason's double IPA. Nice. 
Yeah. Really yeah, gorgeous. I mean, the, the IPA flavors, I mean, I, I the other half coffee stout with cacao mm-hmm. was delicious, but those were flavors I've definitely encountered sure. in whiskey before. Yeah. Um, the hop flavor But usually the flavored, IPA. and that's that's sure. the interesting part. Sure. Yeah. Um, but the, the hop flavor that comes through mm-hmm. from the KCBC uh, IPA was just amazing in the whiskey. We'll have to show you some more sometime. Great. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening to Feast Your Ears. Uh, big thank you to David Tatashore for engineering this show every week and to Harry Radio. You can find Feast Your Ears as well as lots of other great shows at heritageradionetwork.org. Uh, please take a moment to like this show uh, online on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow me on Instagram at The Foodballer. Talk to you next week. listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.